where we unpack all things related to mothering. This is a community where we aim to create a comfortable space that allows for active discussion without judgment. Find us at thecuriousmother.com and follow us on social media. Our Instagram is at thecuriousmother. Welcome back to The Curious Mother. I'm Kristen Daly. I'm Melissa Miller. So, Melissa, what have you been thinking about lately? So, Kristen, did you see in the news last week, there was a woman in Chicago who let her daughter walk their dog around the block, and someone called the police, which then led to um, a social service investigation about whether or not this was neglectful parenting. Oh, my goodness. And my heart just breaks for this woman. And, and I heard a lot of people who were judging her and their complaint was, well, you can't let your kids walk down the street anymore. Our world isn't safe. It is not as safe as it was when we were growing up and therefore we should not let our kids have freedom like this. And it's funny because I feel like that is something that I hear pretty regularly. You I know, hear the it all idea the, time. the idea that kids aren't safe, they're at higher risk. And there's a part of me that's really wondered do the stats even really back that up? Like, is this really is this really the case? Well, Kristen, <laughs> I am so glad you wanted stats because I actually felt, wondered the same thing. So I dug around to see what are the statistics. And um, the Department of Justice puts statistics out every year, and they did this big analysis of the trends over the past decades. And shockingly enough, the statistics do not support our fear. The truth is our world looks to be an incredibly safe place for our kids, much safer than when you and I were growing up. The big ones, especially mortality rates for children, have fallen by over half. But I think the big one that parents are concerned about are the kidnapping and abductions. And the statistics show that kidnapping and abductions are down by 40% over the past four decades. Okay. And this does not even account for population growth, which has grown by a third. And so it abductions are down. And the, and the ones that are um, still happening typically tend to be by a family member, wow. especially children of divorce. So the truth is, I think we're all certain that there's Hester Molester waiting on every corner <laughs> waiting to grab our children. But the statistics do not support that. It just doesn't happen that much. So what do you think drives all of that fear? Like, why do, we th- why do we all have this perception that our children are at greater risk than we are? Well, I don't know about you, but even though, even though I don't have any personal stories of abduction, <laughs> I have a lot of fear that comes from movies and the news. I feel like when there is one story that happens, it is a big deal and we all get petrified. That's true. Yeah. I mean, as you were saying that, what I was thinking about was when I was a little girl, and I don't know if you can remember this or not, but there was the story of Adam Walsh. And Adam had been abducted. It was a stranger abduction from a large store. He was in a department store. And I can vividly recall, so they had made a movie about this abduction that was a made-for-TV movie, probably back when they started this whole made-for-TV movie thing. And um, I can still recall the scene of him playing in the department store and hiding from his mom. And then all of a sudden, he's gone. And... They followed through the entire case while they were looking for him and, you know, putting out requests for information and rewards. And then eventually he was found, but he was found. And I can't remember if they 
and he had been decapitated and so his head was missing and the i can remember the final scene the devastation of the dad with this you know finding out that his son had been found in in this horrible way and then the dad ended up john walsh ended up you know i think he still does the show america's most wanted or had for a very long time yes so it became this big movement into our into trying to help create safety for our society but as a little girl that movie terrified me and i wonder how many parents now in their 40s right (laughs) right. you know are you still still remember that story and how awful it was but then also i think that you're right like we still are exposed to all of these stories and even the way that news happens is that whole if it leads it bleeds we only hear about the awful stuff Right. And what's interesting, though, is I think about the fact that you can still remember that kid's name. Yeah. And I can remember um, growing up, the big one for me was um, Jacob Wetterling. Is that mm-hmm. His? Mm-hmm. So, but we remember their names because there were not millions of kids abducted. No. There are a handful, and that's the truth today, but one feels like a million. Yes. Everything feels like a much bigger deal that if we see it on the news, it's got to be on the, the corner of our street. Yes. But that's just not true. It's just fear. Yeah, and it's interesting about the whole, the the girl walking the dog being eight, you mm-hmm. know? I mean, my first reaction was, is this was this a vicious dog? Because, like, <laughs> I mean, I could imagine if she was walking one of those, like, 200-pound cane corsos that could, like, <laughs> kill someone. That, I mean, I would, I don't think that that's great parenting, maybe, right? <laughs> well, this, actually, I saw a picture, and I think the dog is, like, a tiny Maltese. So, mm-hmm. no, there, there was not a no safety rest. issue. I mean, they can be vicious, but you know, <laughs> probably not a safety issue. I mean, it's funny, I, a few months ago, um, I have a acquaintance who is a former police officer, and her role was investigating um, har- crimes against children. And, um, you know, not surprisingly, when she became a parent, that job no longer had much appeal to her. But one of the things I was asking her was what age, like, is it legal to leave your kiddo at home? Because I hear lots of conflicting stories yeah. about when it is appropriate. I feel like sometimes I will even have people confess to me, like, my kids are going to be a latchkey kid, you know? And it's funny how I think we do have a lot of fear about what is safe. And yeah. what she had said was it really depends on maturity in, in our state, North Carolina, the bottom age is about seven, you know, any, and the, the test that they use is, can they dial 911? You know, oh. would they know what to do in case of a fire is kind of considered the, the test. benchmark, right? And so I, I love the idea that we could evaluate our own children for, right. for whether or not they're capable of doing this. But at the same time, it is interesting to think that some people would think that eight sounds way too young. And I can't I can't tell you how many times I will be working with families and they will have adolescents who they still feel probably shouldn't be left home alone. <laughs> so obviously we have we have a lot of fear in our culture. We do. And I what is most worrisome is because of this fear, we are starting to strip down our children's experiences of um, healthy risk-taking, positive risk. We are cleansing their experiences, and we're really robbing them of 
development opportunities. Yeah, it's funny. I had come across an article um, that was talking about the types of risky play that children are drawn to. (laughs) And so there are six categories of risky play that children all really appreciate. And so the first is great heights. Um, And I I totally, the second I saw that, I got it because um, my youngest in particular, she is the type who will fly up a climbing wall. She loves a zip line more than anything else. Yeah. Anything to be very high up, she thinks it's fabulous. Yes. And so that totally made sense. The second one was rapid speed. Yes. <laughs> Which I guess also the zip line thing. But it's funny in our neighborhood, we have several different um, kiddos who have these electric motorbikes. And I totally get the draw. Yes. It's really fun to go fast on this little thing. The next one was dangerous tools. Yes. Yes. (laughs) And so many times been admonished for allowing my children to use a sharp knife to chop something. And yet I could totally see this is something they need to do, right? That's a big win in our house too. Even last night, my son, we had our in-laws here and he at dinner says, does anybody need a lime? And went to run and he said, I'm going to cut one. And you could just see how proud he was that he knew how to use a sharp knife and he was showing off this talent. It was a great moment for him. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) The next one was dangerous elements. So those are like tires and bricks and um, hammers. Hammers. And then the next one was rough and tumble. And I have to confess that in the Daily House, we have so much rough and tumble play, whether it's brother wrestling sister or whether it's uh, sisters doing um, some aggressive dance routines together. (laughs) But uh, we have recently acquired a large gymnastics mat just because of all the the flipping and things that happen in the Daily House. (laughs) And then the last one is disappearing or getting lost, which also, I mean, I can see the draw. Oh, my gosh. That is a big one in our house. Uh, my kids have developed this game that we that we play at Target um, in Costco a little bit too. They call it Severus Snape and I'm not quite sure why, <laughs> but they th- their goal is to not be seen by me. And so they are like secret CIA agents that like roll in between um, items to conceal themselves and roll <laughs> under things. They follow me the whole time. So the rule, the game is they have to keep their eyes on me, but uh-huh. I'm not to see them. So I just walk <laughs> along and do my shopping and they're like, you know, dive bombing into, uh, end caps trying to hide themselves <laughs> from me. Uh, they think it's a riot. And I also growing up, my grandparents had a farm and I, had such a thrill of trying to get lost in the cornfields. And I would sometimes, the woods that back up to our house would play Hansel and Gretel. Like there was just something so exciting about potentially getting lost and and having to find my way out. I get that one big time. Oh, it's so, I mean, your games are so much better than my games, which are like statue and the (laughs) silent game. (laughs) I'm going to have to learn some of those. But yeah, I mean, I, when I was a little girl, um, at third through sixth grade, I walked to school, and um, there was a really neat little creek by our house, and I had this thing I would do that I called creek walking, and I would just hop from stone to stone to stone the entire way home, and I loved it. And there were many times when my aim was off, and I slipped, and I fell, and I got covered in water and mud, and I would come home just a mess. And I can remember my mom being so frustrated with me because my shoes would be ruined and um, 
but at the same time, I was always just thrilled. Like yeah. that is probably when I felt the most alive as a little girl. So it's yeah. interesting. You know, we're talking about this sense of excitement and thrill for the kids. But the truth is this type of play, this risky play, it does more than fun. It's developing grit in our kids. And it's also helping them develop resiliency and social skills. Um, so I think we really need to look at the importance of these opportunities more than just kids enjoy them. But, you know, when I think about you sprawling out in the creek, like, <laughs> talk about a grit developing moment, right? Like you were willing, you had to keep going, you had to get home, you had to push through, you had yeah. to deal with it. And that is where we really learn how to work hard or get through something challenging. Yeah. So tell me, unpack the word grit a little bit more for those Ooh, of us who grit. are in yes. the psych world. And I should say that this is the word of the school year for the Millers, is that we are working on our grit, okay. our ability to dig deep from within and overcome a challenge, an obstacle, something that we need to get through. It's it's like our, it is the ability to overcome challenges, to deal with challenges, to problem solve through challenges and to push through, which is sort of similar to resiliency. Yeah. I mean, I would say that kind of the big difference is that with grit, you're facing that adversity and you're having to come up with the resources and the solutions. You're having to dig deep in yourself and kind of throttle yourself forward. Whereas with resiliency, like one of the key factors in resiliency is that other people also can lean in and support you. So like resiliency is more about that sense of stability in your community and self, you know, but community plays a part of it, whereas grit is very much an individual factor. It's like, I solved this problem. I had to get through it or I had to survive this struggle. And so it really is about that kind of being in that vacuum, you know? Yep. And, and I, I, Honestly, I worry about the future of our world if we don't develop kids with grit. Yeah. After reading the article about like what drives kids to be interested in dangerous play or why kids like this risk-taking play, um, I found another article through the New York Times. And the New York Times was talking about in some European countries, um, there has been a movement towards going back to really kind of old school type of play. Yes. So like yes. these high risk playgrounds where they are bringing back the playground implements that um, have been banished because of their fear of risk, you yes. know? So it was, they were talking about um, in England, these have actually become really popular and they started to really cultivate this because they recognize that kids are being incredibly more supervised and incredibly less confident. Yes. Well, the cool thing about these playgrounds that are abroad, a huge success is parents are not allowed. And that is an important factor because we do, when we see our kid being mean on the playground, or not mean, let's just say rough, when we see them not playing the right way, or when we see any little tussle of any kind or danger, we rush in Mm -hmm. and we resolve it. We get them out of that situation. And zero learning happens for a kid that way. (laughs) And so we really need to learn how to back off and let our kids figure this out because that's how they develop. Yeah, it's funny. Have you ever been the parent of the the mean kid on the playground? Oh, totally. Totally. (laughs) I feel like there was one of the children, and who I won't name, had this real tendency for kind of finding what probably was the perceived weakest child on the playground. And 
kind of being really hard on them. And I remember they would select, in particular, there's this outfit that um, is sometimes seen in, in young kids in the South. It's called the John John, and it has like, a lot of beautiful smocking at the top. And for the boys, it's these little onesies that have like shorts attached. And I mean, they are ridiculously cute. But this particular daily would find a kid in a John John and pull their pacifier, push them down the slide, and... I can just remember being on the sidelines, and it was funny because my husband would not have as intense of a reaction because he would just kind of be like, the kid's going to figure it out, whereas I would be mortified because like, oh, no, you know, let me show that I can parent correctly and that I'm not going to let my kid be the playground bully. <laughs> but I think that there's something to, you know, allowing them to take risks and not chasing them all the time. Right. And and just in that situation too, I mean, we have to think about social development that actually yes. leadership skills and teamwork skills are developed on the playground if parents don't intervene. Yes. The more that we try to manufacture social situations for kids or tell them how they should do it, we're just robbing them of social intelligence or emotional intelligence too. So this idea that these kids in the playgrounds in Europe and Australia are on their own dangerous elements. There's even one that I read about that I loved that talked about there was an area where they could um, start fires. <laughs> and these kids are not getting hurt. Yes. Um, not only are they not getting hurt, they're learning how to be, they're learning how to exist in a social world. They're developing leadership skills. They're figuring things out for themselves. Like, we don't have to be there teaching them everything. No, it's so funny that the uh, fire piece, because <laughs> a couple of houses ago, we had a house at a very big yard, and my husband had a burn bin. Oh, yeah. And, you know, like, which I guess is just like this, it was this big old metal trash can, but you burn things in it. Yeah. And uh, when we sold the house, they asked to leave the burn bin. <laughs> I mean, not that you would have really taken it anyways, but I, I mean, I think that they were, you know, there's something about um, burning things that people of all ages still really enjoy. <laughs> now, the way that we have really changed playgrounds to eliminate the risk, you yes. know, I think about we're in the South Park area of Charlotte. And at South Park Mall, there's a playground that to me is like the epitome of the risk-reduced playground, right? It has a super squishy floor. It has all of these like very soft, rounded elements, you know. um, Low to the ground. You Low to the ground. Nobody's going to go too high or too fast. Um, There's an entire list of rules at the um, outside of the playground, and there is seating everywhere. Close for the parents to Yes, so parents can be right on top of it. Um, I'm not sure if you're allowed to wear shoes there or not, (laughs) you know, because shoes the element of dirt um but it's <laughs> it's so fascinating how we have just cleansed the playgrounds to be these very very safe environments yeah. and in doing so we've pulled out all the risk like do you remember merry-go-rounds oh they were my favorite oh, absolute favorite i love them forever yes yes <laughs> not only because in one of your little um Things about the play was the fast. Yes. That that was where I got my thrill. The merry-go-rounds, when you got them going really fast, how it would make your stomach flip. Yes. and But also, I think about socially, you had to work together. Oh, right? yeah. Like, you can't do a merry-go-round by yourself no. all that well. <laughs> and they were so fun. 
But where are they? They're gone. Totally gone. Apparently, at some point, they were found to be risky. Yeah, right? Right. You know, seesaws. Those are gone. <laughs> that was another, like, major coordinated play, yes. right? And yes. also very, very much have disappeared. Yeah. A lot of the height elements are, you know, are disappearing. And um, sandboxes. <laughs> Yes, right. You know, Heaven it, forbid a cat poop in a sandbox and our kid, you know, get a... a germs! Right. <laughs> well, and then there was all the rumors about, like, broken glass being in the sandbox or something, you know, which just feels to be, like... Right. There was always the rumor that in the McDonald's ball pit that there had been, like... A heroin needles, and this was like the big heroin user hangout. I mean, come on. You're going to become an addict for forever because she played at the ball pit. <laughs> yeah, and so, and what's funny is like the idea of having these, like, okay, we've got to crank up. Like in Australia, in the, in the New York Times article, they said in Australia, they actually passed a policy that any new playgrounds developed had to include some elements of risk because the importance of being able to do risk-taking at play was so critical to resilience. Like they had enough, they looked at enough university data to actually make a policy decision about this. And it had me thinking like, why is it that we have, you see these other countries starting to move towards it and what's interfering? You know, like in England, the movement of having the elements of fire and I think – there's some pictures in the New York Times article of like not only high up, but they have these like gorse bushes, which are like have like these huge spiky pieces. And uh, they wow. said, you know, that it's, it's good to have the gorse because you know not to touch it. Right. <laughs> right. But, um, but they said that the, the, one of the statistics that kind of drove this change was in 1971, 85% of nine-year-olds walked to school by themselves. Like, you know, they just, they were able to completely go unaccompanied to school. And by 1991, that number had dropped to 25%. And so we have this just huge increase in surveillance. And I know one of my favorite things to do is to walk my girls to school. We Mm -hmm. live walking distance from school. And I just love it because I love hearing their stories and I love connecting with them. But what we also do is they walk home from school alone. And I will tell you that when we first made this decision a few years ago, it was not popular with all of the family because there was some concern that that walking home is a time of really big vulnerability. And there was even a time when one of my girls was walking home and had a friend walk home from school with her, but the mom followed them in the car because she had to make sure her daughter arrived safely at our house. And so this perception that our kids are out there and vulnerable, I think it really, it, it gets in our way. Right, it does. And and this kind of goes back to statistically, our fears are not founded, yeah. right? And, and I think the truth is that we all, as parents, we have to live with the anxiety that our kids might get hurt. Yes. And that's going to happen. But that doesn't mean we're doing something wrong or that we've put them in a bad situation. This is life. Like, yeah. The, we can't keep our kids from from getting wounded. We have to let them experience it. Yeah, it goes back to that whole idea of grit, right? Yeah. <laughs> if we keep them safe. Right. Then there's no need for grit. Right. You know, and sometimes I will I will even have parents ask me that, like, why do I really need them to go through something bad to learn resilience? But at the same time, it's because it's the only way they're going to really have a lot more confidence. Right. And I, yeah. And I wonder how much our judgment kind of creates that sense because we do have a tendency – Um, to be pretty judgy of each other's parenting just a little bit and I you know and so I think about like how anxious we can be yeah and um, maybe that anxiety is 
founded. Maybe maybe a lot of it's driven by the way that news has been presented to us. But then we also have this element of judging other parents yep. when their kids take risks. And so I think what we do is we create this environment where we're all on edge yep. and it's not great. Right. Then you have um, one of the other things the New York Times article pointed out, which I think is important for us to acknowledge, is the U.S. is incredibly litigious. You know, like we... Um, if somebody gets hurt, we are always looking for somebody to blame. Yep. And yep. often that's because of the fact that our healthcare is not socialized like it is in all of these other countries. So, you know, part of it is you could have a medical bill and that medical bill can feel really intense and overwhelming. And so if there's a way to avoid having that medical bill, we would prefer it, you yep. know? Yep. But then I also think there's that element of responsibility again, right? Yes. Because when something happens, then we also are kind of held to blame. You know, as soon as, like, I, I have to, guilty um, confession here. Um, one of my guilty pleasures is the um, TV show Intervention. Are you familiar with this? Yes. Okay. Great show. <laughs> I love this show, and probably because I'm a psychologist. But um, <laughs> my favorite part of the show is about 15 to 20 minutes into each episode, they do the reel of the person's upbringing and their personal history. Oh. And I am obsessed with that part of the show. I mean, honestly, if I just watch that part, that's my favorite. Because I always like to know what brought them to this point. And what I'm looking for as a parent, an anxious parent, is what risky circumstances or what went wrong to create this drive to addiction in this particular kiddo. Yeah. You know, and that goes back to like, that's judgment, right? You know, like where did, where did these parents or right. where did this what family did screw do? up right. that, that created, I mean, it's, it's the, the ultimate of like judging parenting at its worst, you know? And the thing is, is that I think that we all have this tendency to feel in, intensely responsible for the, for the health of, and well-being of our children. And also, it's terrifying to know how little we actually control, right? Right, right. And and I think it's hard to sit with those anxieties. And so then we do start kind of pointing the finger, right? Mm-hmm. Who's to blame? But also the pointing the finger of the, how dare you? Yes. How dare you let your kids do this? I would never. Um, it, it It's so unfair. Yeah, and it's funny to think that we have this whole idea that they could get physically hurt. So we're going to protect them from physical hurt. Right. But maybe we're also interfering with their emotional development. Right. Like where's the real <laughs> risk there? Yes. Is the physical risk worse than the risk of not letting them develop and grow? Yeah. And the, uh, going back to the article about the types of risky play that kids are, are drawn to. So one of the things that they said, this is a, a direct quote, um, and this article was from Psychology Today. Um Children are more likely to injure themselves in adult-directed sports than in freely self-directed play. That's huge. (laughs) Isn't that fascinating? So what they were saying is that when kids play on their own, there's a lot of variety in movement. There is a lot of give and take. Um, When people get injured or, or when they feel hurt, they stop. Um, when it seems, you know, they will back off on aggression towards each other. Whereas in coach sports, what happens is you have an adult on the sidelines saying, you know, now is, um, you need to work harder, you need to push harder, and you need to be able to have this sense that, um, 
they need to perform well. And they will encourage them to be more aggressive. They put them at greater risk um, in the fact that they will hit harder, run faster. They do things even though it feels bad. And, And so what happens is the degree to which they are playing in organized sports May, it puts them at greater risk. And, you know, and the injury reports back this up. <laughs> What's fascinating, though, as a society is we all encourage each other for our kids to be in these sports and pushing harder and do this. We're not judging each other when our children get hurt in a sport, but we are super judgmental when our kids get hurt um, in any other facet. Like, oh, well, totally. you weren't there. You let them do that. How dare you? Totally. And I think part of it is because we have a cultural belief that organized sports have this big benefit to them. Right. You know, part of it, like that. going back to that, doing something well, even though it hurts or it feels bad, that's kind of our our translation of grit. Yeah. But it's, it's interesting to think about, like, is that actual grit or is that performing because somebody's telling you you have to perform? Right. You know, and then the other pieces is that we have this sense of having a kid who's good in a um, in a sport is creating somebody who is a good applicant for college or right. who has a potential for scholarship. And so we're valuing this one expression of play or physical activity and over this other expression that would have some tremendous psychological value. Yeah, and it's... My hope is that parents just don't know yet yeah. what they're robbing their kids of. And that they can, the more that we really spread the word of how important this is, that we need to stop manufacturing all of our kids' interactions and play, um, even to the toys that are being yeah. sold now. Like, it drives me crazy how there is zero room for creative play with the toys these days. Because yeah. it's all spelled out right there, yeah. right? We have a relatively hands-off parenting style, and luckily a lot of our neighbors are similarly minded. And so just the other day, um, the kids got together and they created a dog wash. And so I was, awesome. I came home and I pull up my driveway and I, and taped to our mailbox is this big sign. <laughs> this says dog wash, um, quick wash, $2, <laughs> big wash, $3. <laughs> and uh, they actually created a little video advertisement and commercial for their dog wash. And uh, it was so great because they each had lines. And uh, we, <laughs> the last line was, we do it the doggy way. <laughs> and all the parents were dying because we were just like, oh, gosh, the double entendre there is terrible. And, you know. But then um, the funny thing was I thought for sure they, they tend to have these money-making schemes pretty often. And so I was like, here we go. Um, probably this was something I was like, did you, did you actually get to wash any dogs? And it turned out they had actually washed many dogs, That's like amazing. eight dogs. And um, they had – I had actually seen my one of my daughters was walking down the street with a chocolate lab I didn't even know and um, apparently they had met new neighbors and they had gone door to door offering to do this dog wash and Apparently, some people not only trusted them to take their dogs and wash them, but even paid them for it. So they were just like flush with the thrill of the fact that they had made money. They had had this business scheme and it had, they had felt very successful for them. It was hard because washing dogs is not easy. Having had, to go up to strangers yes. and talk to them. Yes. I and, love it. and ask them to use their services. And, you know, but I think about all of the emotional growth yes. that occurred. And if we had been micromanaging that it wouldn't have been fun Mm -mm. it wouldn't have happened you know and 
I was actually, I was grateful I was at work because who knows? I probably felt, would have felt the need to try to intervene or try to guide them. Right. And luckily, or say, it's totally only unavailable. Go to, yeah. I, I feel like as peers, we're so willing to say, like, only go to the people that we know, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But but that's that's kind of ridiculous, right? Yes. I mean, shouldn't they be exploring their community and being willing to be brave to talk to new people? But as parents, we do. We start to tailor it. Pull it back, like yeah. help help me feel comfortable with this, and yes. then we really do not only rob our children of growth, but we adults are fun zappers. Yes. We know how to take <laughs> all the fun out of things, which is why I guess we can't supervise them when they're playing with like That's with right. tools. <laughs> so let's let's kind of drive this home. Like it would be good for us to have some sense of like what are our big takeaways. Yes. Like for me. Takeaway number one is we really got to watch our own anxiety and yes. make sure that our own anxiety is not being the decision maker, right? Totally. We have got to find ways to manage it and also know that sometimes if if we're anxious, it might mean that we're doing something right. We're yeah. allowing them to do things that are necessary and important, even if it doesn't, it's not in our comfort zone. Yeah. Good yeah. living does not always happen in our comfort zone. Yeah. I think another piece is that I think we should vow, like, you know, Melissa and I both vow not to judge each other's parenting or to the parenting of anybody else. This is the biggest one because as I do feel like as moms, the more we judge each other, the less freedom we feel in our ability to parent well. And so we find ourselves in this world getting narrower and narrower about what's allowed, what's okay, what we can feel good about, which just trickles down to the detriment of our children. I think dads are better about this. Not mm-hmm. only are, do I, they don't sit around and talk about the poor parenting skills of other dads, but they don't act on their anxieties. I, you know, I know when my kids go away with their dad for fun weekends of camping, they get to do much more risky things <laughs> that I would let them because my husband can tolerate it and he knows it's good for them and he wants that experience for them. And all of us moms kind of laugh about like, oh gosh, what are they going to get into with their dads? But this is a good thing. They need those moments. I even think about when we got our play set in our our swing set in our backyard, and I was just in sheer terror every moment, feeling I had to be out there. And my husband was like, just come inside. Look away. Like, they need this. (laughs) Give them the space to play. If they get hurt, they'll learn that what they did hurt them. Yes. And so I do feel like... We have to be not only kind to ourselves, but kind to other moms who are giving their children opportunities. Yes. And maybe also kind to the ones who are, aren't because probably that is also because it, it just, it's scary, yes. you know? Yes. I mean, I always love the idea. Everybody's doing the best they can, you right. know? Right. But I do think it matters to try to create those spaces where kids can be resilient and, yes. you know, and be risky and know that that's building them up psychologically, right. even if it means watching them walk a strange dog down the street. <laughs> <laughs> Today's episode was super fun. And what I really want to do is is encourage everybody to take a look at what you're willing to do in terms of um, can you commit to being a non-judgmental mom towards others too? Can you commit to um, allowing a bit more freedom for your child so that we can raise a healthier society of children who have more grit and resilience and social intelligence? Yeah. And if you if you have some, you know, if we've said something that's a little challenging, we'd love to hear that too. Um, because our hope is to be able to just grow and develop this community. 
Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of The Curious Mother. Learn more at www.thecuriousmother.com where you will find resources related to episode topics. Please join our community and add your voice. Follow us on Instagram at The Curious Mother. Thanks for listening.